in to the Paul Kuharski podcast from paulkuharski.com. I'm Paul Kuharski. If it's your first time with me or it's been a while, I have hit my mandatory quota of mentioning my name three times very quickly. Appreciate you joining me as we get ready for the Titans to host the Colts. Second game between the two teams in short order. I hate it schedule-wise. It's the way it works. It's particularly ridiculous for two teams that are the primary contenders for a division um, to be done with their games this early in the season before Halloween, but you take it as it comes. Um, very similar circumstances to what it was just um, what a month ago. Um, I think the biggest advantage for the Titans here is um, Mike Vrabel against Frank Reich but the, the Colts are a better looking team than they were in the first meeting when the Titans beat them by a touchdown in Indianapolis, um, scoring 24 points in the first half and holding on. Um, look, it's, it's their Titans are coming out of the bye week They are rested. One of the things they talked about resolving during this bye week is uh, figuring out if there are people they want to play more, if there are people they want to play less, I'm not expecting major changes, um, though <clears throat> I think there should be some, uh, not necessarily sweeping, but um, people have asked me, who, who do you want to see more of? Who do you want to see less of? Um, the options are limited based on the roster limitations. Um, but but I'll, I'll give you my, um, my preferences here as, as to what they should do. And I, I mean, I think on offense, everybody wants to see the same thing. We want to see more explosive options uh, playing on offense. And there aren't a lot of more explosive offense, uh, offensive options. So I would start at, at tight end. I'd like to see more. Uh, and I don't know who wouldn't want to see more of Chig Aconquo. Um, he, he's done well in his limited chances. I don't know if he's blocking as well as they'd like, which is probably why he's not on the field as often as we'd like, but Austin Hooper has been a dud. <clears throat> I don't know that, uh, that he is what we thought he could be. Um, so I, I'd take less of Hooper <clears throat> or Swain, but we know they're married to quality blocking and that, that they believe Swain provides that and more of Chig, um, you know, and, and maybe he can provide, uh, you know, it doesn't have to be deep explosion. It can be short area explosion for, for a tight end with good hands um, and, and good speed. So I'd, I'd start with Chig. Kyle Phillips, I think his role reduction after a great opening day has all been about him being banged up with that shoulder um now you know he's not missing time right now um practice time you know he's not on the injury report um so hopefully they can get back to him as a healthy option he, he's you know legitimately one of the more explosive guys on this offense again it's short area he's not going to run deep but um he can be an explosive guy and certainly get your first downs on third downs um, and keep the chains moving. So <clears throat> I haven't solved the problem of, of uh, deep X plays um, because there aren't people on this roster to do that with. 
And uh, the outside the box, you know, potential here is LaRaven Clark. He started 16 games at left tackle, I believe, 15 for the Colts, one for the Eagles, came from the Eagles uh, practice squad. You know, I'm not convinced that Dennis Daly is is the solution at left tackle. If you're making a change there, um, this would be the week to do it. Uh, Mike Vrabel didn't say when I asked him, you know, if if what the conclusions at left tackle were, if they were going to move forward with with Daly, um, or if they thought they could polish him up, he said, you know, we need to get better everywhere which is, you know, a standard answer, but he didn't say, no, Dennis is the guy and we need to get better everywhere. So there's room there. I don't, I don't think Raiden's Dylan Raiden's is, is a tackle answer anymore. He played fine at right guard or he was the least of their problems um, in Washington um, against Allen and sweat Um he, he was okay, but he seems better in tight spaces, which is, you know, part of the failure of that pick, but you know, maybe it's time to take a look at LaRaven Clark, as opposed to daily. Another guy we need to see less of is Hollister. And I wrote a piece this week about separation and combat catches out of the wide receivers. Hollister has played in every game this year, played in three games last year. I think he was targeted seven times. He's played in every game this year. He's been targeted once. If you're going to play him that much, you got to target him a couple times to keep people honest. They, they don't even find him worthy of consideration for targets. That's fine that you're a great blocker. The position is about throwing, uh, receiving the football. It's called receiver. It's great that you're a great blocker. If you're on the field as one of the five eligibles, you need to occasionally be uh, actually uh, an eligible. Uh, and thrown to and i'm not calling for throws to cody hollister i'm calling for less fewer snaps fewer snaps second item on my list here the colts <clears throat> they um they played a an oddly shaped game last week because their two primary running backs were out naheem hines had a uh concussion right and uh jonathan taylor an injury also out an ankle. Um, they ran the ball only 16 times against the Jaguars averaged 2.8 yards and just weren't concerned with it. They let Matt Ryan drop back 58 times. He completed 42 passes, 389 yards, three touchdowns, including one at the end to beat the Jaguars was sacked zero times behind an offensive line playing for the second week in a row reshaped. Um, with Dennis Kelly, our old friend um, at left tackle. It's a lot better pass protection. 58 dropbacks, no sacks, says something about the Jaguars' pass rush, too. I asked Jeffrey Simmons about it this week. He certainly would like to see Matt Ryan drop back 58 times. Nobody could reasonably expect that. But they, the Colts no-huddled a lot, played tempo, which causes difficulties. Shane Bowen said, you know, it makes uh, – it makes a defense anxious at times. You want to be sure you're ready. You want to be sure you know what you're doing. You want to be sure you know what's coming. Um, and so my question about what the Colts are going to do heading into this game against the Titans in Nashville is how much of that no huddle do they carry over having seen some success from it? And how much of what they did in the passing game out of those 58 dropbacks 
where they had some success, obviously, do they now blend back into a, I would expect more conventional offense with Taylor and Himes back in the, in the lineup. And they're both um, on track to, uh, to be back. Um, Himes, Hines, uh, full participant in both practices this week. Um, and uh, Taylor, looking at the injury report, limited on Wednesday, full participant on Thursday. I'm recording Thursday night. So we would expect to see both of them um, and for the Colts to be more like themselves. But how much do they take some of what they learned about themselves out of that oddly shaped Jacksonville game and maybe uh, change, alter things, um, layer some stuff in. I'm curious to see that. <clears throat> we talked with Todd Downing um, on Thursday, the offensive coordinator, on some of the things they worked on during, uh, during the bye week. He talked about detail, which you expect, but stuff like, um, you know, making sure they nail their landmarks, um, you know, making sure a scheme is properly ex executed the second time they hit it, uh, you know, being um, efficient and clean on things in the, in the second half. Um, here it is in, in his words from Todd Downey. Sure, maybe it's the second time we run a scheme, you know, and we want to make a little tweak to how we're, we're fitting a combination block or, you know, a certain track we're taking. Maybe it's a, a motion landmark that we want to try to create something. Just getting those guys on the same page, either with some halftime adjustments or maybe some things that we didn't uh, execute well in the first half and we try to come back and run them again in the second half. So uh, we certainly need to be more detailed in the second half, and, and I look forward to you know, turning that page and, and kicking that door down here in the next uh, second half of the season. Now, now, look, I appreciate kind of his enthusiasm there and the clarity of what he's saying, but this sounds like stuff that should have been in progress before the buy. I hope it was. And it sounds like stuff that's got to be, you know, crisp and better from week one, from the jump and covered consistently and all the time. So I don't, I don't really get why these are the type of things that they need to hit come a break in week six, heading into week seven. I find this somewhat discouraging, um, you know, kind of like Craig Aukerman, the special teams coach who was talking about, you know, um, he's, he's got a new guy. And Josh Thompson, who, who comes in, uh, you know, signed off the Jaguars practice squad. He wouldn't call him a special teams ace, but that's how uh, other media called the signing, you know, but he's saying, well, one of the things on special teams, you know, that keeps things from running smoothly. Sometimes we've got so many guys in and out. Well, that's what special teams is. Guys are always coming in and out, you know? This guy's a special teamer, and then the guy at his position gets hurt, and he becomes more of a full-time player on offense or defense, and he's lost to special teams, and you get you get the, you know, the number three guy instead of the number two guy is a more prominent player on special teams. 
That's what special teams is. You get the practice squad call up and you plug them in. If you're good special teams, you're constantly blending people into special teams. I'm not using that as an excuse. That's my weekly rant about Craig Aukerman using and making excuses. Um, so I didn't, uh, I, I'm a little puzzled by Downing talking about these things like they're big review points on a week six bye instead of stuff that they've been talking about regularly uh, and Aukerman saying that. Uh, if you haven't read it at paulkuherski.com, of which you should be a member for a meager $5.99 a month at the price of 12 months at the price of 11 months in a yearly membership, um, Mike Herndon had a really good piece on Wednesday as to whether the Titans are a pretender or a contender. Uh, a very good read that you don't want to miss out on. I encourage you to uh, sign up, head over there, and make sure you've read that. Um, this week on the defensive side, Shane Bowen was talking about the big plays that are consistently killing the Titans and this, um, you know, eagerness to make an offense, earn it against them. Um, I asked him too, about the personnel consistency. The Titans currently have 12 defensive backs, 12 defensive backs on their roster which certainly sounds heavy. Let me help you take attendance if you're having trouble counting them off in your head. Corners, Ugo Amadi, Trey Avery, Caleb Farley, Christian Fulton, Roger McCreary, and Terrence Mitchell. Safeties, Andrew Adams, Kevin Byard, Amani Hooker, who's back from his concussion, Lonnie Johnson, Josh Kalu, and the newly added Josh Thompson. That's 12 defensive backs, on their active roster. They've got Chris Jackson and Elijah Molden on IR. I saw Chris Jackson Thursday in the locker room, heavy knee brace on his right knee, using a crutch to walk. Doesn't look like a guy who's coming back from IR anytime soon, or maybe this season. Three more defensive backs on, um, on the practice squad, and they are making moves constantly on uh at the position josh thompson was signed this week kyron brown a defensive back stephen parker defensive back both added to the practice squad this week so 12 on the roster two on ir the hope of molden coming back for sure that's 14 um and three more on the practice squad 17 defensive backs uh, around so um Bowen was talking about, uh, you know, communication. I remember going all the way back to, uh, who was it? Uh, King who was on this team a couple of years ago when it was suffering in the secondary and them talking like they had to communicate with everybody. Like they were a new guy, like, uh, like King who's Desmond King. Um, <clears throat> and they're at that again. They're at that again. Got to do it. Here's Shane Bowen. I mean, we gotta we gotta keep preaching it. We obviously have to change the trend, so uh, we gotta make them earn it. We do. We can't be getting the ball thrown over our hands. As we gotta be able to make tackles. We can't be uh, not making mistakes with our execution. That's causing some things at times. So I mean, there's a ton of reasons for them, um, and we gotta do a better job of eliminating them. How much how much do you need personnel consistency? There, you got DBs just coming through the door. Yeah, that's part of it. I mean. And again, we're out here practicing, communicating, they're meeting all together. We walk through, um, 
the communication is a big part of it. I think any defense, any scheme you're in, that's, that plays a major role. Uh, but making sure we're all on the same page and kind of got to overdo it right now based on what we got going on with the different people that have been cycling through. Um, you got to overdo it. and guys got to take a role and they got to they gotta be committed to communicating. The Colts have 10 plays of 25 yards or more, 10 passing plays of 25 yards or more. Titans have to keep that down. One guy they have to be wary of, Mo Alley Cox. I don't remember how long his plays were, but I remember that they were damaging plays, crossing plays in that first opener. Roger McCreary, uh, the victim of one of them, simply needed to do better um, against that stuff and did not do well enough against stuff like that. Speaking of big plays, um, I wrote a piece Thursday about Derrick Henry. Look, this is a good football team, the Titans record-wise, three and two <clears throat> in a conference that's very muddled. Um, and I, I think we've praised them for figuring out ways to fight through and to win games, albeit against not great teams the last three weeks. Um, you know, so they're finding ways despite these deficiencies, giving up big plays, not finding a lot of big plays, letting Ryan Tannehill get banged around, not doing much scoring in the second half, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, they've set a high standard for themselves and, uh, you know, they're not playing anything like you'd need to play to win playoff games, which is, you know, what we're going to ultimately judge this team against. We all know the personnel isn't as good as it's been. We all know they're not playing as well as they played last year as the number one seed, even if they're winning these games. Um, so sometimes I think it, uh, uh, I feel like I'm picking them apart too much, but I think we all see this stuff and we understand um, kind of what we're judging them against. So um, I wrote a little bit about Derrick Henry. I mean, his, this five game span that he just had, he's run for 408 yards. He hasn't had as unproductive a rushing five game span since 2019 and the middle game of that five games was the first game that Ryan Tannehill started for the Titans. Um, yeah, he's caught some passes here to help up make up some of the difference, but um, we're going to get to some numbers that uh, in the stat part here at the end that, uh, that show um uh, just what or I'll give it to you now. Henry's averaging just 3.9 yards a carry this season. That's tied for the fourth worst of 22 qualified NFL running backs. The league average 4.5 yards a carry. He's um, over half a yard under average in yards per carry. He's not hitting home runs. So the big plays the Titans aren't getting from the passing game. We understand based on personnel. Derrick Henry's a home run hitter, and the Titans haven't been able to get home runs in the rushing game. Derrick Henry's longest play, 24 yards. So this is a, a, a concern, another concern with what's going on with the Titans. And it might sound like nitpicking, nitpicking but again, um, even the foundation of what the Titans are doing is not working the way it's supposed to work, is not working the way that we've come to 
expect it to work. It's a concern. They're not going to beat Kansas City without that kind of thing. They're not going to win in the playoffs without that kind of thing. I think they probably win the AFC South. I think they get into January hosting a game as AFC South champions, and I think they're probably right where they were in their last three playoff games. Um, a team that's kind of easy to solve for a good opponent. Let's look at the health of this team. Torrey Carter, the fullback, did not practice Thursday with a neck injury. Um, Zach Cunningham hasn't practiced uh, so far this week with his elbow. Joe Jones, same thing with the knee. Zach Cunningham is not being missed. I, I <clears throat> you know, I didn't think Dylan Cole was a starting caliber player in this league, but as a run defender, he's steadily gotten better, and and he's doing what. Zach Cunningham was signed to do at a much cheaper price. And Zach Cunningham, frankly, wasn't doing it very well um, when he was healthy. So uh, Titans are in a good place right now. Certainly Shane Bowen was talking as if Bud Dupree will be back this week. And um, I think everybody else is good to go. They're in a good place health-wise. Colts' biggest concern looks like Quiddy Pay, the defensive end. Um, he, there's a, a reasonable risk of him not playing this week. He's got an ankle injury and he did not practice Wednesday or Thursday. Um, Grover Stewart, the defensive tackle, who's a real problem on the interior. He didn't practice Thursday, but it wasn't injury related. Um, and, uh, linebacker Jojo Doman didn't practice on Thursday with the abdominal injury. Um, don't think he's a gigantic piece of what they are doing. So um, health shouldn't be a big concern. Another piece you need to read at paulkoharski.com, Blake Bettingfield, a former scout of the Titans, with a full scouting preview of the Titans and the Colts, which will be um, live on Friday, probably uh certainly by the time you're listening to this, a must read every week, his perspective on what the Titans um, will be looking at across the line of scrimmage. Um, the best thing the Titans have going for themselves right now is, is their play in the red zone. Um, their play in the red zone has been spectacular. The problem is that they have not gotten into the red zone often enough. Vrabel on them not getting into the red zone. They've run 11% of their plays in the red zone this season. That's the fifth worst amount in the league. The league average is 14%, so they're 3% off the league average. But if they could get above the league average, imagine what they could do because they've scored 5.8 points per red zone drive this season. That's the best in the league, way above the 4.2% league average. Um, and they've converted first downs on 16 of 30 plays, 53% in the red zone this season. A touchdown is also a first down. So 53% of the time in the red zone, they're getting a first down or touchdown. Uh, best in the league, 53% league average, 30%. Vrabel on not getting into the red zone often enough said, there have been too many three and outs. We've talked about this. You're going to have to have some X plays. 
you're going to have to have some third down conversions and you're going to have to avoid the critical mistakes and the critical penalties. That's how you move the ball into the red zone. And that feels like um, basically what he's talked about with regard to second halves throughout the season. Um, and uh, they're going to have to get better at all of those things, get down to the red zone. Those percentage, uh, percentages are probably going to come down, um, but that's okay. Um, you know, get there more often and take your chances with, uh, with those numbers coming down a little bit. Uh, they'll still be very good. So um, I wouldn't be against that. Let's look here um, at, at the Colts and the way their uh, scoring is structured. They've uh, scored only 10 points in the first quarter this season. Their biggest scoring quarter is um, the fourth, where they've scored 42. And um, so they scored 10 in the first, 42 in the fourth. And defensively, um, they're allowing 37 in the first and 48 in the second, but only six in the fourth. Now you go to the Titans, it's going to take me a second to get there because I didn't uh, have this prepared in advance as I should have. So let's see what kind of stall tactics I could use. And my drag function is not as great as it should be. My touch. We'll get to the Titans here. Come on, Arizona. Titans. We know what their scoring trends look like, right? They have uh, scored 41 in the first and 40 in the second. So that plays right. And some they did some of that damage against the Colts, right? But that plays right into what the Colts are doing defensively. Uh, they've scored zero in the fourth quarter, which fits in right with the uh, what the Colts are doing defensively as well, where they've allowed six um, and they've scored, the Colts have scored 42 in the fourth quarter. Titans have allowed 17. So look, uh, Titans can begin to reshape some of these numbers in this game. They need to, to shape a game more, start to finish, play more consistently um, and do a better better job of that. Keep up the red zone stuff. Just kind of string it out throughout the whole game. I know I said after the last Colts game, it's okay. You know, <clears throat> if, if 24 points is going to win you the game, it doesn't really matter where you score them. That's fine. But you can't go dark for a half the way the Titans have been doing it so consistently. Um, and, and you can't do it twice against the Colts, I don't think. Um, let's hit some numbers here. And I used a lot of uh, of the red zone numbers there. Um, so what do I have left? Two more. The Titans defense has allowed successful plays on 35% of rush attempts this season. You know, success is deemed uh, a different thing per down. If it's third and short and they convert it, that's a success. That's the best in the NFL. The league average is 44%. So the Titans are at 35%. That's excellent. And the Titans are the only team in the league with three players with three and a half sacks. That is uh, some good news there. I mean, we thought the Titans were going to have problems sacking the quarterback the way um, when they had so much trouble with their 
edges. When Harold Landry went down um, in practice the week before the season started, and uh, and then when Bud Dupree um, has has been hurt with this hip, that's been a problem. Certainly thought that people would be able to pay more attention to Jeffrey Simmons and Danico Autry, and we didn't know what we'd get with uh, Ola Adeni, uh, who's now been hurt and he's on IR, and Rashad Weaver coming into his second year. But Danico Autry and Rashad Weaver have four sacks apiece, and Jeffrey Simmons has three and a half. And nobody else in the league has three such players. Uh, the Bills, the Cowboys, the Packers, the Vikings, the Patriots, the Saints, the 49ers, and the Commanders all have two players with three and a half or more sacks. So the Titans have continued to rush the passer well. It all starts inside with Simmons and Autry, who really are um, – the meat and potatoes of this defense and need to keep it up against Matt Ryan and the offensive line that's been playing much better for the Colts. I appreciate you joining me on the Paul Kuharski podcast. Please check out paulkuharski.com. Come become a member. Tell your friends about it if you are a member. Uh, I hope you have a good football weekend, including a, uh, a second time win over the Colts and a firmer Uh, a firm hold on the division by the end of the weekend. Don't block the box. Do lock your locks.